So who in this film has been in a Star Trek movie besides uh, besides Hemsworth's son? Uh, Idris Elba. That's right, Idris Elba. Yep. Idris Elba. Carl Urban. Yeah, Carl Urban. Urban. That's the obvious way. Idris Elba was in a Star Trek film? He was the villain in the third Abrams film. He's in the third Abrams film. Oh, well, that's more than I knew about it. I think think somewhere in my mind I knew that, but uh, I would not. And and as is his style. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, Hemsworth. Hemsworth's the big one. Um, Or the obvious one. Urban is the big one. Wait, what? What is Chris Hemsworth? What? Chris He's Hemsworth in the first plays Abrams. Kirk's dad, like in the scene at the very beginning where Kirk's dad died. It was before and Chris Hemsworth. That's right. Was like, that's right. I remember. It was that. like his first yeah. big American film role. And the yeah. the rumor is that they were going to bring him back for e- I, either they were going to bring him back for the third film or they were going to make a fourth, fourth film, film about him. But okay. by that time, Thor had happened, and yeah. he was, you're, yeah, you're yeah, not paying yeah. Chris Hemsworth at that point. You're um, not paying for a pine and the Hemsworth. Yes, the yeah, you, you, get one. you get one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm sure some of the like minor cast, there might be somebody who. I'm just trying to think if like any of like. I mean, could, couldn't like Ray Stevenson have played Merdu in like an episode? Yeah, like hey, Ray, yeah, a, Ray Stevenson was the one I was going like maybe. Here's a question for you, cinema folk. Uh, so as I understand it, Arnold Schwarzenegger says that he's made more money off of Twins than any other film because he took uh, percentage on it. Mm. Like he oh, and Danny, that, okay, everyone who worked on it sense. took really low pay in exchange for a percentage. Why is that not more common? Because the studio doesn't. Yeah, you You have to be someone of like yeah. early 90s Schwarzeneggerian clout to okay. get that. Yeah. I mean, that's it where would the be money so is. much easier to make <laughs> movies at a low budget. Mm. Well, the thing is, mo- te- like on paper, yeah. almost all movies don't make money. Like Hollywood, yeah, net versus gross and advertising. Yeah, Hollywood right? But like, like they, like they, like very explicitly because like the financing of the movie is being built off like the success of previous movies. So it's yeah. just it's a constant sequence Pyramid's of like kiting checks. Yeah. Uh, so like every single movie. Never heard that phrase before. Is, I like it. It's very self-explanatory. Um, I think I learned it from uh, what do you call it the the, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie with the check writing, the check fraud. Um, catch me, catch me again. Because uh, that's what he's doing. He's kiting checks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. So like there have been instances where folks have had to sue uh, studios the at the theater to. to to like release their books so that they can prove that no this movie actually did fucking make money you liars yeah yeah no it's yeah it's one of those things that from the studio's perspective you don't want to give up like potentially unlimited upside yeah um that's the story of if um like the 1989 batman movie um jack nicholson famously signed for like an absurdly large percentage of the gross. And yeah, I think he's net. estimated to have made somewhere no, between like 60 and a hundred million dollars on it. You want the gross, right? You, w- you don't want the net. Yeah. You want, you want the gross. gross. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Net is what you catch. Gross net is as, as Eddie Murphy famously described him, monkey points. <laughs> yeah. Monkey it's points. not, it's not called net point blank, dude. It's called gross yeah. point blank. <laughs> yes. Ugh. Yeah, you want you want points on the gross, not points on the net, because yeah. points on the net don't exist. Yeah. They will never pay you if you have points on the net. Yeah, mm. monkey points, monkey points. Catch okay. it. 
So we can talk. We can talk about Thor Ragnarok now that we've talked about Star Trek, Star Trek films, Monkey Points, Gross Star versus. We also talk Star about Wars. Star Wars. Yep. Uh, Derek's baby. Derek's baby. Yes. Yep. All these things and more. Mm-hmm. Welcome to a special Derek's baby edition of <laughs> Cinema Excelsior. Henry Excelsior. <laughs> Look who's talking now. Look who's <laughs> <laughs> God, you never hear about those movies Cr- uh, Kirstie Alley, she was in a Star Wars, she, uh, Star Trek. She was in a Star Trek. She was. Uh, uh, yeah, also, what did I just also hear? directed by Leonard Nimoy. Oh, shit, that's Leonard right. Nimoy I forgot directed, about that. Uh, look who's talking. I think so. Am I, I think that sounds right. Making that that directed baby. by Dr. Spock? The uh, baby doctor? <laughs> no, no, you're right. Hold on. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. Three Men and a Baby. Nimoy famously right. directed, Nimoy three directed Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, and made a shitload yeah. of money on it. Like that was how That's he spent funny. his Star Trek 4 clout. Was to direct wow. Three Men and a Baby. Wow. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. Well, that movie did very well. I've never seen it. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Amy Heckerling yeah. directed uh Look Who's Talking. Oh. Yeah. Good for her. Clueless She's is great. Amy Heckerling. Clueless, um, great film. Uh, Emma, good novel. If you guys ever get a chance, it's worth watching the French original version of Three Men and a Baby. Uh, you were going to say the French crazy. original <laughs> version of Trace, Trey Holmes. Trey Holmes. Yeah. Uh, Trey Holmes. Trey Holmes. Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Does Roberto Benigni <laughs> play the, uh, the Steve Gutenberg role? <laughs> oh man, that would be that would, Bester, that would be something. Did we watch Johnny Stacchino or Il Mostro in that Greek comedy class? Oh, uh, I think it was Il Mostro. Okay, I was, was thinking like we'd jo- watch Johnny. I thought we watched Johnny Stacchino. Oh wait, maybe it was. I think I watched like Il Mostro. Right? I think like I remember Johnny being toothpicks. called Johnny Toothpicks. Mm-hmm. I think toothpicks. it's toothpicks. Yes, so we watched that. Yeah. Okay. Yes, we did watch that. Yeah. Uh, so I've seen three Roberto Benigni movies, and they were all hilarious. But enough about Roberto Benigni. We should talk about Thor. <laughs> you Rock. take that back. There has never been an upset about Roberto Benigni. Uh, no, we, we should. Excuse me, excuse me. I used up all my English on the first speech. <laughs> well, everyone, welcome to Benigni Excelsior, Benigni Excelsior, the Roberto Benigni <laughs> podcast. All right. Benigni. <laughs> all right. Thor, Ragnarok. Yes. Uh, we let's let's nominally talk about this film for okay so i if we could step back like several years at this point i'm pretty sure that thor the dark world was the episode that we recorded where we talked least about the actual film i think that might have been the infamous billy barty episode there wasn't much to discuss (laughs) i mean i certainly of mcu movies that is yeah that's got to be my pick for least favorite MCU. Movie. Yeah, it's, it's not- we've definitely watched some. We've definitely watched some worse Marvel movies, but of like, like things that are explicitly. Uh, what, I'm sorry, what did you cough there? Oh, nothing. I just coughed. Okay. Well, it's the I'm- usual. It's the usual podcast rule of it's it's worse to be boring than to be bad. Yeah, and that was a, that was a painful. Yeah, boring yeah. Movie. yeah, even yeah, even true. even some of the Fantastic Four movies like were bad in ways that were entertaining in a way oh, that Thor yeah. Ragnar, uh, the Thor the Dark World, never was. I would rather watch the recent Fantastic Four again. Than oh yeah, I would hundred percent. the Dark World. Yeah, but to be fair, I remember not one frame of the recent yeah, Fantastic Four. I was Four about film. to say, "Hey, did we watch that?" Oh yeah, we must have if we're at this point. <laughs> yeah, I really second guessed I... myself after I said it. <laughs> I. 
I, I actually have, feel like I have a pretty good memory of that movie, and it's not good. But no, yes, it's I really would, not. I would, I would watch all four of the Fantastic Four movies that we watched like in a row in one sitting before I watched Thor: uh, The Dark World. Yeah, we we, we haven't we haven't recorded for a little while, so I'm I'm fine. No, I, I've practically forgotten how to do a podcast, so I'm fine. What bra- was the I'm, last one we I was did? Telling was Spider Man. It was Spider Man Homecoming, uh, which I still haven't released because yeah. I've been been busy. Um, but uh, like I'm I'm fine freestyling this one. Uh, so I'll yeah, I'll, sure. I'll I'll, I'll uh, just lead with the lead here instead of burying it. Uh, Thor Ragnarok is a good movie, and I like it a lot. All right, mm. good job, everybody. Yeah, I think this, we next, call this one a wrap. Another, I agreed. Another for the record, I agreed with everything yeah. Stefan said yeah. during the course of this uh, review. But yeah, I would say, you know, if we're just going to sort of start getting into it, not try and like recap it. I remember like, because again, Thor of the Dark World's That's really, really bad. Um, like, I think this is like, maybe the most impressive movie for of the MCU. Like, not necessarily the best, but like, just in terms of like, me being like blown away by the movie in theaters yeah. going oh shit this is it's my birthday yeah <laughs> the 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 <laughs> if you had told me as i was coming out of thor the dark world that the next thor movie would be my favorite mcu mo- movie by a significant margin i would have not believed you mm. Mm. it's do uh, we, do but... do we think that that's because uh, i i mean my I agree with you guys. My own reaction to this is, uh, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure that I like it because of Taika Waititi. Yes. Um, mm. Oh yeah. Because it's a, it's a film with a, uh, particular, uh, kind of tone and vision that is, that is very, you know, t- <laughs> comedy of the mundane. It's well, yeah. And it's, and it's kind of, it's kind of a, it's Waititi's style, right? Uh, I mean, it's, um, it's almost like there there's you can see his authorship in various ways whether you know with all the caveats of, mm. in terms of like you know you can't necessarily attribute that to him personally as you as can't assume that he was more, involved more, in Jeff Goldblum's you know, makeup but it feels yeah. like he was well it's the usual critique of like you know the the director sure. like film somebody films. he would have he would have had oversight over decisions that were being made he could have he could have vetoed some of them mm-hmm. but yeah i think i think that's interesting given like we've talked about authorship a lot on this podcast particularly in terms of the mcu and like the mcu house style tends to be kind of not necessarily unauthored but like it, they tend not to have like strong authorial statements or yeah. like you know you don't necessarily go in as like ah this is a this director movie it's just it's an mcu movie and who directed it is kind of incidental this is one of the few where i feel like like this is like the fingerprints of the of the director are all over this movie and I it's think a film. Thor sorry. one actually. Oh, sorry, go yeah. Ahead. Thor yeah. Thor one is also one I put in that category. And I think part of it, it in many ways, it's less even like Taika Waititi himself, and more that this is a film with a personality. Yeah, like you can you can feel it kind of coming through in a way uh, that most of the other you know big Marvel films you don't. It's not necessarily even just an in, the stamp of some individual. Uh, director or artist it's it's the fact that this movie has a sort of sensibility and it's it's not just it's not that bland generic marvel movie sense of humor which is you know in some ways kind of like whedon-esque <laughs> mm, yeah. um well, but 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 it's it's a distinctive like turn and i feel like that 
sensibility and that sense of humor kind of actually carries through many of the the subsequent mm-hmm. films like you can even in films not directed mm-hmm. by Watiti there 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 is that kind of absurdist um element to to the tone of of many of the rest of the films so i, I don't want to treat this just in in isolation because we did the film before this was Spider-Man Homecoming which i think did hint at some of the same um loosening in in tone a little mm-hmm. bit uh, certainly in its sense of humor, but this is is leagues beyond in terms of what it's doing. But that that it's that feeling of kind of loosening the grip a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I suspect we're going to jump around in this conversation. The the point that I would jump to actually, and I I thought about this as I was watching it, was actually because um, I think it summarizes that point pretty well. Was uh, the way that Hella was presented and characterized as a villain. Because on paper, there is nothing about Hella that is any more interesting than whatever the hell that guy Christopher Eccleston played in Thor The Dark World is. <laughs> Malekith? Malekith, I, I think, think it is. Oh, God, I forgot he was... It yeah, was the George, George Washington, Washington The George Washington right? elf. Yeah. Um, yeah but, I'll have to introduce oh, some George Washington elves in our DMV game. that was Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. On, on paper, there, there's, there's nothing particularly more interesting about Hella, and I'm not comparing yeah. Christopher Eccleston and Kate Blanchett as actors. Although Kate Blanchett's probably going to win most competitions that are Kate Blanchett against X as an actor, um, but Kate Blanchett is. Were you lot- saying X as in variable filler here, yes. or is that your pet name for Christopher Eccleston? Yeah, my boy X. <laughs> um, Chris the X over there. Chris the X. X. No, um, uh, I feel like. The, the only reason why Hella works as a character in the film is because Kate Blanchett is playing her and because Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. is clearly having a lot of fun just playing well, the shallow one-dimensional character. No, she gets, she gets to make an entire movie out of that one scene where she turns bad in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, kind where of. Where she says, like, I would become a dark queen! <laughs> Something like that, you know? And that's yes. like this whole character. Accurate. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, and we've definitely talked uh, previously, you know, Marvel, Marvel villains tend to be like really shallow and boring. Uh, and yeah, I think there's a sense of fun here uh, that I think, yeah, definitely has a lot to do with uh, YTT. I also think, you know, uh, Chris Hemsworth deserves a lot of credit here. Because yeah. I think... This is I the movie that won me over on Chris Hemsworth. No one expected him to become the funny one in the MCU. Yeah, like, <laughs> he was he was like the clueless one in the, uh, in the <laughs> Avengers movies. And, like, they tried to make him kind of serious. A little goofy, but mostly serious in, uh, in his solo movies. But they go, like, just, like, pure himbo here. And like it works so well, like this is definitely a uh, a performance style that like Hemsworth like succeeds at, and yeah, the performances in this, he's great. Carl Urban's great. Uh, Kate Blanchett is great. Uh, Goldblum is great. Uh, Hiddleston's doing good work. You know, it's Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. And in Everyone some ways, that's. Was Tessa Thompson Thompson was trapped great. inside a monster for two years. <laughs> What's I feel interesting like is I could become him again permanently. I feel like you're just not hearing me. <laughs> that sort of shift too in Thor's character from you know in the first movie, it's basically all just fish out of water stuff, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of in a weird way carries through to Thor the. And Dark I'm not World. even sure he was in nope. Thor the Dark World, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> who, who could say? <laughs> Um, but, but this, this kind of repositioning of, of his character, um, 
is just so effective and makes him so much more interesting. Um, and, and I, I, I think in, in a way too, there's a way in, there's a way in which the, the kind of like, the kind of like sensibility that you get in primarily like Tony Stark in the other, um, mm-hmm. the other films, he's kind of given a bit of that. He's, he's made a little bit wittier, mm-hmm. uh, in, in this film. Um, and I, I think that's it. That turn is such an interesting one to make for this character. And it's, it's kind of like unexpected. I, I remember when seeing this in theaters, it was just like a revelation, like, Oh, th- okay. Like this is a character I can get behind. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is a character I, I care about and I, I want to go on this adventure. Yeah. Um, with him and that opening scene um yeah do, does so much does so much work in like in like introducing you to this new thor the, the movie yeah. won me over in the opening scene in three moments the first was hemsworth's performance the second was uh the first uh mcu film appearance of the great clancy brown as the voice of Suter, who i mean clancy put clancy brown in anything and i've got a 50 50 chance has he been another him. thing since uh, he was on uh, the Daredevil and Punisher Netflix series. I don't think he's oh, been in any films. Um, yeah. But the, th- the big one was uh, the use of the immigrant song almost knocked me out of my chair the first time I saw it because the immigrant song was 10-year-old Stefan's favorite song in the world. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. I love that song so much. Like, I, in one way, it's like the most blisteringly so obvious uh, musical choice, but like they use it so well here and at the end, like it's mm-hmm. it's very effective use yes. of yes. an incredibly obvious musical pick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like uh, it's better used than Iron Man, and it's like, a banger. So, yeah, it's a better song yeah. than Iron yeah. Man. I mean, yes. um, I, I would agree. Um, I think what one of the things we we could uh, potentially talk about uh, I think is the script and the overall yes. um, just narrative structure Let's of this film, which I think is really effective. It, like, t- it takes um, a couple of really it, like not plot turns, but structural turns. Yeah. Um, the, you know, just uh, again, uh, choosing a moment completely at random. I mean, the, the fact that Surter comes back later, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is script writing one Oh one, but like, it's surprising how many Marvel films, You'll you'll get characters and moments like this that either they uh, appear and never come back, uh, or they appear but it's in reference to some other film, and so mm-hmm. the the internal structure of the film has to fight against the yeah. the franchise as a whole, and you have to you're like oh wait what who are these characters again what happened in that in yeah. that other movie um, we're, we're and- sort of so used to seeing superheroes like fight off like just. A, uh, you know a cameo villain at the very beginning like mm-hmm. you know is it uh an amazing spider-man 2 has like the rhino at the very yep. beginning but the rhino uh, comes back just, at the end does he come back he does yeah i don't remember wait a minute uh, you guys you guys remember something about either of the amazing spider-man films i remember i remember paul giamatti losing his goddamn mind in a rhino suit yeah i remember I paul giamatti not remember paul giamatti being in that at all paul yeah. giamatti is the rhino it's very weird paul giamatti's anyway, in about like, two minutes I, it's of such it. it's okay. such a common thing especially for superhero sequels like superhero yeah. sequels you've already done the origin story so you can just kind of have 
you know, Dark Dark World starts with him like fighting some like fantasy war, and he like yeah. kills a, a rock thing. Uh, so yeah, like yeah, it's it's very obvious script writing to bring Suter back, but also I didn't see it coming. So so let's mm-hmm. let's actually break this down because structure the structure is interesting here. So we start yeah. off with, for all intents and purposes, a prologue. Um, your your mm-hmm. Bond movie pre credit scene, except that it comes back at the end. Um, which establishes tone and it introduces us to Scourge as a, a new character um, and g- gives you a little bit of context. And then Act 1 is, I, I would say, basically from the point Thor arrives back in, Ra- in Asgard to the point that Hela comes out of the portal. And that entire act is about finding Odin. And I love that they... Well, let's talk about a couple things there. One, I love how quickly they wrap up the lingering plot thread from Thor of the Dark World, because we're not going to fuck around and waste time with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. num- number two, I really, really admire Anthony Hopkins' performance as Loki as Odin. <laughs> it's fantastically <laughs> yeah. good. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. That whole that whole scene is... is Those I, cameos I, are so good. It's yes. so good. Before we get away from it, can I also mention, there's one other thing that's like really established in that opening scene, yeah. that Thor is invulnerable as long as he has the hammer. The mm. hammer means he can beat the, the devil. Save him. Like he literally kills mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. devil. The hammer will you know, save him. Yes. Their version of Yeah. Yes. Um, and yes. So it's that much more impressive when they destroy it immediately after that. Yeah. So, right. so, so that that moment then has stakes for the, the individual film, for somebody who's, mm-hmm. this is their first Marvel film and they're walking yeah. in and they know nothing else, yeah. but also mm-hmm. for the, the franchise folks. So, so that first act of the film is the film that it feels like a Marvel movie. What happens? They go to New York. They're looking for a famous... They meet Benedict Cumberbatch. Like, they're... Yeah. <laughs> that sequence, I have been falling for 30, 30 minutes, minutes. And it hasn't even been 30 minutes of film. Yeah. He just... He was in a time warp. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. You, you get that... Oh, so we're with wizards now. Yeah. You get, you get that stretch of um, the Earth section... And then uh, Odin dies. Kate uh, Blanchett makes her entrance. She destroys the hammer, which, uh, as we, we've established, has stakes in this film. And then we cu- we cut to another film. We take a Rainbow Bridge journey to another film and drop an entire another film in the middle of this film, which is fucking fantastic. Yeah, because you could definitely imagine a more straightforward that like doesn't have like a, a less interesting side thing for Thor, some sort of complicating event. Yeah. Um, one thing you could I tried to pull one out of Thor too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one thing I found really interesting is a, a detail I remember from the trailers for this is that like the shot of Hela crushing the hammer yeah. in the trailers is in a, is it's different. It's in a, uh, it's in an alley. It's in an alleyway. Yep. Um, and every time I watch this movie, I like, I'm watching that scene where they're out on like the cliff in the grass, like trying to figure out, it's like, how late in production did they change this? Was like, is this clearly entirely the entire green... scene is on a green screen? Yeah, it's entirely yeah. green screen. But I'm curious, like, what is there a version of this that is entirely played out? Like, does, like, maybe they, does maybe Odin they... die in some filthy alley somewhere outside some godforsaken hovel? Is that what you're I mean? Asking? Yeah, possibly. Like, maybe, like, the whole sort of complicating event yeah. of they go to find Thor and or they, Odin and the building has been oh, torn down, you know and what? then we insert uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. In, maybe none of is... that's in there. They're establishing the the payoff that's going to happen in what Endgame or Infinity War, where uh, the 
the diaspora from uh yeah yeah from asgard yeah what's it yeah from asgard i was trying to say midgard but midgard is earth midgard is earth yes Uh, yeah uh that they're going to make this their new home yep Mm -hmm. uh, because he says that in that scene so they Mm -hmm. probably added that later yeah. Oh, so you get to set it up. You you get plopped down on uh, Sakar, and you you occasionally get cuts away back to Asgard, where Kate uh, Blanchett kills some supporting characters. I think only one of whom gets a line. I think Hogan has a line. I'm not sure if uh, Fandral and Volstag even get any lines other than Irk. Um, uh, I think they may have like half of a line before they irk. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Volstad starts saying something and then is immediately. Were those murdered. the actual characters from the first film? Uh, from the fir- uh, so the characters from the first and second film. Uh, y- you may not remember this in Thor: The Dark World. They recast uh, Fandral because in the first film it was Joshua Dallas, okay. and in the second one it was Zachary Levy, and this was Zachary Levy. Okay. So okay. she again, kills, she I don't kills, think he has a line. Yeah, she kills Shazam and she kills uh, Punisher number three. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like we, we got some stuff on Asgard, uh, Idris Elba's running around, like protecting people and all that, but none of that matters. What yeah. matters is happening on Sakaar. And, is... and the fact that none of it matters, like, like, obviously it does matter narratively, but like the fact that like emotionally entertainment wise, we don't really care about it, I think is really significant. Cause like, again, if this movie were made like Thor, the dark world, like we we would spend so much time dealing with uh, Idris Elba's like insurrection campaign on oh, yeah. that, and I was like, I don't give a it's shit. It's kind of pure. It's kind of pure structure. Like the the film recognizes that. Okay, we need to have um, these. We need to cut back mm-hmm. um, to these to these scenes in order in, on Asgard, in in order to kind of give the the plot as a whole some structure, mm-hmm. but it spends the minimum amount of time that it needs to kind of establish really the stakes of the third act. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, the thing I found really interesting watching it this time was how much time is actually spent on Asgard. Cause like, as I remembered it, like if I had like from memory tried to write it out, like Kate Blanchett gets to Asgard and then we never see any of it ever again until Mm. the third act. Like I had forgot, like, and like they cut back pretty frequently. Like what? again, it's very they they do it quick. They like they're very efficient with those scenes. But like there's like a half dozen or so of them. We see a good amount of what's going on in Asgard. Well, and that that's why that's why you have Scourge as a character in the movie. It's to to give you an entry mm-hmm. point back to the scenes. And he has like the faintest outline of an arc that he goes through over the film. Yeah. But it's it's really a case of okay, we we put Carl Urban in the movie. Because he he can deliver a joke and he can can yeah. hold some screen time a little bit and then just kind of let hold that some play machine out. guns yeah hold some machine yeah. guns assault rifles Des yeah I think Troy um, <laughs> but what's the, the real action is ha- is happening on Sakar so let's let's run this down quickly we meet uh, Tessa Thompson as as Valkyrie and she I, I made a note when uh, she she gets a rock star entrance in this movie just like everything from the music swell to the camera move to her falling off of a bridge yeah drunkenly falling down yeah to murdering everybody yeah like she she gets <laughs> she gets made out to be a big deal very quickly and uh kudos to her as an actress for being able to pull that off because uh i can recall characters in previous marvel films getting substantial entrances and not pulling it off um yeah. like the silver surfer um, 
but, I but don't the, remember how the Silver Surfer is introduced. But then, then we get to... Uh, he's on a surfboard? Yeah, yeah, he surfs. Oh, probably silver? Yep. Um, probably silver. We get to the the main show on the planet. Uh, we get Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster. Um, just give your, give your thoughts. So, some, <laughs> someone take it away. <laughs> uh, bold choice to just use the Willy Wonka music. <laughs> did you not like that choice no i love it i just thought it was bold i didn't i you know i didn't expect that you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah i loved um when when he is in the willy wonka tunnel and you're getting like the narrative background of uh, the grandmaster landing on the planet and there's that moment of like him falling in silhouette and standing up and moving and there's no doubt in my mind jeff goldblum was on set just for that silhouette shot because the way he moves is so distinctly Goldblum. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what I love about that, like, is, like, from a narrative perspective, like, it's, like, the most pure exposition oh, yeah. imaginable. Like, it's literally a, char- a, a unseen, unnamed character narrating the story of this big character. But, yeah, like, I mean, between the Willy Wonka tunnel effect... And, yeah, he watches a film strip about the planet he's just landed on. But like it's done like with the Willy Wonka music and the mm-hmm. uh, and the effect and like Hemsworth just great like facial expressions as he's like what the fucking about mm-hmm. what's going on uh, like again like there's a lot of really basic building blocks to this movie it's not mm-hmm. necessarily doing anything like revolutionary but they're put together so well the uh, detail just for our younger listeners uh, a film strip is what you see referenced in the early seasons of The Simpsons yes. that are always narrated by Troy McClure yes. <laughs> Um, one detail, so Jeff Goldblum gives like a really, really fun performance in this, but one detail I noticed this time that just drove home his commitment to character is that he's wearing flip-flops the entire time, which I just thought was a really nice touch. I don't think I noticed that. Oh, yeah. I did not either, but I, it fits. I, it works perfectly. I, no, I noticed it when he, uh, when he melts his cousin and then kind of starts <laughs> stepping away because he's afraid of stepping in the goo. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, no. Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum is fantastic in this, and um, oh, and the actress that was in Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was trying to remember uh, yeah. what what her name is, but she I is also Rachel House? like Rachel House. That's that. Yeah, she like that that like comedic duo of the two of them is uh, is so good. Like her is sort of the straight man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it works so well. Well, and it's you know like the the way that the. It, it's really great casting because it takes advantage of Jeff Goldblum's star image that mm-hmm. there's there, you get the sense that there's some sort of undercurrent of debauchery to, mm-hmm. to this seemingly and sort of dangerous kind of debauchery. Guy. And yeah. 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 No, it's true. It's using like the star text of Jeff Goldblum. Like we get a lot just from like the intertextuality that is Jeff Goldblum himself. Yeah. We understand mm-hmm. a lot about the, the grand master, uh, from from it being Jeff Goldblum, not necessarily like obviously the performance is important, but just like Jeff Goldblum as sort of an intertextual entity mm-hmm. is so important to this. Yeah, and and that again, in terms of how the film is structured, you have Hella established as the primary threat that you're going to be tackling, but then you have within this story a secondary story taking place with its own antagonist, with its own objectives that you have to get through to get to the primary threat that you're trying to face. And it gives the entire, like what, what I really appreciated about 
the entire Sakara section of the film is you are put into a film outside of the main film without ever losing stakes or momentum. It could be a distraction to drop you down into this exotic world. Uh, mm-hmm. But instead, because of the character of the Grand Master and because of, um, I, I would say, maybe the instance of the MCU's overarching interconnectivity working the best for it that it has yeah. in an MCU film, you have a feeling of forward momentum. And mm-hmm. I will... Yeah, you don't look Loki and they introduce Hulk. Yep. And you still feel that constant pressure that he feels to get off the planet. Yes. But you also feel the impossibility of getting off the planet without having to go through a whole bunch of stuff. I, I remember, I mean, Hulk is on the posters for this film. He is in, he was in every trailer. If they had kept they did not quiet about all. Hulk in the film, if they had pulled a baby it Yoda on Hulk. So good. The people in the theater would have leapt out of their chairs. Yeah. Yeah, if they kept that quiet, it would be the best movie of the year that yeah. it came out. It's unbelievable. But again, it reminds me it reminds me of Winter Soldier and that I feel like it seemed like they were giving away a big twist and that's not the twist. In, in much the same way that I remember when Winter Soldier coming out, I was like, it's really it's weird Bucky. that they're not hiding. Yeah, they're not hiding the fact that it's Bucky at all. And then obviously that movie has like a gigantic twist in it that mm-hmm. I, at least I didn't know anything about going into. I think, yeah, the, I'm sure people were spoiled on it if they looked for spoilers, but like the, they kept it under wraps in a big way. And I think again, Kate Blanchett and uh, Carl Urban deserve a lot of credit for just like, they're, they're very simple characters, but they're both, they're both like giving them their all and having a lot of fun with those characters. Mm-hmm. And that helps a lot for those like, here is a 30 second scene of the two of them on the planet and good. The audience has been reminded what the stakes of the movie are and are starting to feel bad for Carl Orban's character. Let's move on. Yep. Mm-hmm. The other, the other, I think really effective thing about the whole Sakar middle of the film. And I think it, you could apply this to um, other of these kind of later Marvel films as well is we're, we're kind of merging the earth slash Asgard part of the Marvel universe yeah. with the guardians of the galaxy kind of half mm, of, yes. of this universe. And I think that that does a lot of work in terms of stakes because how do you get Thor and uh, Hulk? The, the, mm-hmm. I think objectively the most powerful looking strongest Avenger. powerful theming yeah. Avengers. But also how do, in some how ways you, the most boring Avengers. And yeah, but nominally, yes, but this is kind of how you make them interesting is yeah. you have you have to put them in a world of a world of kind of absurdity, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 science fiction, that kind of science fiction side of the genre um yes. does a lot of work in keeping the characters uh interest interesting for for one, but mm-hmm. but also making sure that um there there's a kind of uh there there's an internal logic to the fact that these characters can are are having to fight themselves mm-hmm. and they're they are you know slaves effectively um prisoners with jobs prisoners, prisoners with, with the jobs, jobs. Yes. Yeah. um yeah and, and, and this and th- this building of uh just to, to finish my thought I, I i think that's one of the things that keeps personally like someone like me who is like i'm never read any of these comic books. I've, you know, I'm, I am, I, I would say objectively not a Marvel fan, not for any negative reason. I just, I didn't grow up with it. Yeah. Um, Star Wars. 
the Guardians of the Galaxy side of this universe is what keeps me invested mm-hmm. in the films yeah. in any kind of nominal that, way. So, yeah. th- this is and I hadn't really. Dude, you go, and then I'll go, and then best you. Go. Uh, just to jump off of what Derek's saying, like it is interesting because Thor is the one prior to Guardians of the Galaxy who would most likely interact with them because mm-hmm. he travels across space. But we never really see that until this movie. Yeah. We see the road between Asgard and Midgard. But now we actually see them fall off of that road mm-hmm. and into the rest of science fiction space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Derek, yeah, you- that's it's a very good point because it sets up the end of this movie where they meet Get on a Thanos. And then also when he directly interacts with the Guardians in mm-hmm. yeah, future films. Derek, you, you made you made a comment about you know not growing up with marvel comics or anything like that this is of the films we have seen maybe with the exception of a couple of the spider-man films this is the one that actually to me feels the most like the marvel comics of really the 70s and the 80s and it's it's everything from the idea of yes we have a large uh, interstellar scale threat to there is a contest of champions where heroes fight each other to the color palette, to the world design, which is like mm-hmm. straight out of yeah. Jack Kirby's like sketchbook. It's mm-hmm. it if you're making like the distillation of what would 70s or early 80s Marvel look like if it's just translated to film, this is probably the one that's been the closest. Again, maybe with the exception of a couple mm-hmm. of the Spider-Man films. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a yeah. uh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's, it's was gonna... interesting that you did you. What you are responding to is um, as the part a truer of the truer depiction of Marvel yes. than we've seen so far. Yes. Well, well, your your point about it feeling not just like Marvel, but like Marvel at a very specific point in time, mm. I think, is a really important one. If it's late seventies, early eighties, because this this movie is dripping in eighties. Yeah. Yes. Um, I you know I'm. And, and I think that's one of its main, main appeals for me is, is that um, it's, you know, from, from the soundtrack, uh, which uh, it's a Mark Mothersbaugh, isn't it? Am I making that up? Soundtrack? I'm not familiar uh, yes, with it is. Mark Mothersbaugh. Yeah. What else would we know him from? Devo. Well, Devo. Um, okay. But also and, a lot of things. Like he's, yeah, he's a big, mother, uh, Royal Tenenbaums, he, he does a lot of okay. uh, film soundtracks. Gotcha. Um, cool. and, I, I, for, I think that kind of like, specificity of style like it's style that's linked however tenuously to a very specific kind of aesthetic and moment mm-hmm. um that i feel like like other super hope like certainly like dc like if you look at like wonder woman 1984 right there the, or or even um uh uh captain marvel with you know there it's, it's more 90s but mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. seems like in some of these more recent films there's there's this like nostalgic element as well this aspect of style and in this film it's not so much necessarily played for nostalgia but that 80s aesthetic um and you know that that kind of or 70s 80s that like immigrants saw like it's it's placing you in a a a feeling and an aesthetic that is very specific that that Mm -hmm. it's very like tuned in in a way that the other films you know, yeah, you get you get kind of moments of that, but this film feels so kind of focused in on uh, a coherent like seventies eighties look. Yeah, 
filtered well, think, through Taika Waititi and yeah. <laughs> this universe. Well, I think what's so interesting and compelling about like, especially that sort of the, that side of the Marvel space setting, not so much uh, Asgard, is like how colorful it is. Like if yeah. you look at lots of Marvel movies, they're they are aggressively gray. They look like, like Xbox not 360 colorful. games. Yeah, they are not. They are not colorful movies, um, which is a little strange for movies about a bunch of people in costumes fighting each other. But like, they tend to like if you go back and watch like the big like airport fight scene in Civil War. That's yeah. like like it's been like they've like uh, intent. They intentionally desaturate a lot of it, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting yeah. the way that I hadn't necessarily thought of. Um, What's the name of the planet in this? Sarkar. Sarkar. As being sort of more, as being part of the Guardians of the Galaxy universe. But as soon as you said it, it was like, yes, that is absolutely accurate. Um, and I think it's interesting that this is a movie that, you know, Thor, Thor ostensibly is the one who already has that connection with the Marvel outer space setting. But also he doesn't because like we never see mm-hmm. that the sort of the, the grimy, colorful, outer space that you see in the guardians movies Mm -hmm. there like i was just thinking like if if a spaceship showed up to save the asgardians in a previous movie without first establishing them as part of like the larger uh like colorful guardians of the galaxy universe that would feel weird even though we sort of accept that there's that sort of veneer of you know arts our technology is so so magical it's magic kind of thing Mm -hmm. uh because we only ever see them travel on their own world or by Bifrost. Yeah, they they, they, yeah, treat, they treat those first two films. Uh, they they are stylistically fantasy films, even though oh, they say, oh they yeah, are. there's science behind it all. So, no, those those are fantasy films. This is explicitly a science fiction film. Yeah, and that's obviously not to say the Guardians movies are not hard hard sci-fi by any. No, no, no. They're 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 practically Neil Stevenson novels. Based on. I would they, say that that the sub film within this film is specifically science fiction, but the rest of the film feels very fantasy. Yeah, no, it's all, I, I, you know, conquering armies and yes, I would, I would agree, wolves. I would agree with that. Uh, but 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 then but then the science fiction film comes to rescue the fantasy yeah. film. No, because I agree. as it's I said before, blending. if this were just the fantasy movie, I would not like this movie. Mm-hmm. The version of this movie that's just dealing with like Idris Elba's guerrilla warfare against Hela would be yeah. a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least uninteresting. So, uninteresting. so how does it rank as a Star Trek movie though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I watched the Gamesters of Triskelion not too long ago. <laughs> Loki has kind of a cap. Well, no, no. The the was it the Grandmaster? Is that what yeah, he's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's definitely got a Captain Kirk feel to him. The Grandmaster has a Captain Kirk. Feel? <laughs> <laughs> I guess because he's, he's sleeping with aliens all the time. Yeah, like that's okay. his whole shtick. Or he's just trying to sleep with as many aliens as he can. Uh, this is probably a question mostly for Stefan, just because I feel like Stefan's the one that dude to some extent. Um, is this based on anything? Like, is the Grandmaster, has he appeared previously? So the, the Grandmaster is a character in Marvel Comics. He, he's nothing like he is in this film. In the comics, he is actually, in fact, the brother of the Collector, uh, Benicio Del Toro's character. Oh. Um, the Their last name is Ur. Exactly. Uh, their last name is Tivan. Um, so the... Um, the pieces of the kind of Hela story, I, I think the primary Thor writer for the period we're talking about, you know, 70s, 80s, was uh, Walt Simonson. 
And I think Hella was maybe a featured player during his run, although her headdress design is like super Jack Kirby in in every way. Um, and the but the the Sakar section of the story is actually based not on a Thor story; it's based on a Hulk story. Um, so there was yeah. a oh. uh, Hulk story in the mid '90s, or sorry, mid 2000s, uh, called Planet Hulk, and the idea was that. Basically, there was a period of time where all of the smartest people in the MCU decided that they were villains for some reason. Um, so it was like Professor X and Reed Richards yep, and yep. all these guys uh, decided, you know what, this Hulk fellow is too dangerous. We're just going to put him in a rocket and shoot him into space. Make him someone else's problem. <laughs> and he lands on Sakaar and becomes a gladiator and then becomes king of Sakaar and then leads an invasion of Earth in an event called World War Hulk. Um, yeah, I've heard of that. I had forgot. I yeah, this is the Planet Hulk side of things, right? Yes, yeah. I had forgot. I had for like, I remember when this movie was coming out. I I remembered the Planet Hulk connection. I had forgotten that like, this movie had made has made itself. It's like has, owns this material so well that I had just entirely forgotten that anything it eclipses sort of the stuff it's based pre pre existed. Yeah. So, I mean, we were joking about, you know, how is this a Star Trek movie? But I think there's a there's a point to be made in that, like, I, I don't know, maybe one of the reasons I enjoy this film so much is that there's an element of ridiculousness that that you get in the best Star Trek episodes. Right. I mean, like at its core, Star Trek is often quite bad. Like oh, yeah. they're, you know, no, 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 wait, real, let's, let's interrogate this point for stinkers. <laughs> I mean, it's a writer's playground, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, of, course, I mean, of course, half the episodes are going to be muck. Just like right, half but, the children's games are awful. <laughs> exactly. Because the writers are e either because they're being forced to Playing or around. because it's the universe. They have to play around. They have to use their imagination. And there's just such a great amount of imagination in this film mm -hmm. um, that, um, you know, not not a lot of the Marvel film, the the MCU films, um, I should specify, I feel like really have, you know, it, it, yeah. that and, and there it's like you think you might get that in in the element of fantasy in the Thor films, but you really don't. No, you um, really don't. Yeah, yeah. Like the yeah, the fantasy, the space fantasy of the Thor movies and especially dark dark world i think it's still pretty boring in uh in the first thor movie but a little bit better uh but yeah yeah no i agree like the the amount of imagination is just sort of like hey it's the it's the uh, north pantheon they're here i'm on a planet i'm like mm -hmm. yes i've seen this a thousand times yeah. right in well, star trek yeah and but and and it's it's <laughs> just just the whole idea of the Hulk is too dangerous. We have to shoot him into space. Like that to me is the beginning of a Star Trek episode. Oh, like yeah. the Enterprise comes across some alien that has been shot into space because it's too dangerous. Yeah, they're, they're space like crystal an entity yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, that is literally the plot of Khan. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> we see. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, let's, let's break this down. So what do you got? You got alien beings. Some Star Trek be into darkness pages got mixed in with Carl Urban's script. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. You've got, you've got alien oh. entities, uh, being worshiped as gods by more primitive peoples. You've got, uh, clash of champions where, uh, uh, what's, uh, something with jobs. Um, uh, that's a movie that did it. Star Trek into darkness kept Khan under wraps. No, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah, but every, but every, I mean, he was sort of. like they, they, <laughs> they didn't. But everybody knew. But everybody knew. They actively denied it. But everybody knew. But everybody uh, called it and was very mad at him for lying. Yeah. yeah. 
but like they did that as opposed to this movie you know i would try, prefer not trying I would, to do that at all but yeah you've yes. got you've you've got a gamesters of triskelion kind of plot yeah. you you've got uh an entire people having to leave their planet yeah, uh, yeah. after there, which is there's that the voyager ladder, episode right? with the rock yeah. <laughs> that right the, the voyager, voyager episode with the rock, with the rock. <laughs> i gotta watch voyager yeah. you do have to watch voyager yeah, i've only it, seen the first season this, it was like uh, this i watched it when been, it was airing that may have been the first uh non-wrestling uh thing the rock did that was like pre-scorpion king yeah, i watched a movie early last on. night and there was an actor in it that i would have sworn up and down was robert picardo and then i then I had to look him up, and I was like, wait, he doesn't quite look like Robert Picardo. It was, uh, what, Ethan, uh, what's his face? Ethan Frost? Neelix. Yeah, oh, it was Neelix. Neelix. Uh, <laughs> Ethan, uh, Phillips. Ethan Phillips. Yeah, Ethan, how, Ethan Phillips. How dare you insult Bob Picardo? I had Picardo no idea that they were so similar in the 80s movie Critters. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. No, but that's that's good, though, because uh, Neelix there, gets a Critters I, I, movie a photo and Bob the Picardo gets a Gremlins movie. Like, they're working at their appropriate scales. Like, they don't look especially alike, but they're definitely, there have definitely been two men who look, they look yeah. a, a, enough alike. Fair. They're, they're, they're ah. not dissimilar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah close especially enough. in the 80s, uh, when you yeah. just see one from the side. You can understand why I was reminded of him, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I have definitely, I have definitely seen Ethan Phillips and things going like, I know who that is. Who is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, so we're we're unanimous then. Star Trek Into Darkness, worst Star Trek film. I would watch Star Trek yeah. Five again before I watch Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, oh, yeah, I would 100%. watch any other Star yeah. Trek film before Star Trek Into Darkness. Yeah, I really fucking hate that movie. Yeah, it's a really bad movie. I've I've only seen it in the theater. And I, yeah. Same, and yeah. that was enough. Yeah. Hmm. But Thor of the Dark God, World. I went to good. see that movie by myself because I, I had no one else to go watch it. I also with. saw it by myself. I saw it with some God, friends, just... and we were all really disappointed in it. Like, and and uh, friends who uh, ran the spectrum from having never seen a Star Trek film to having seen every episode of Star Trek, and everyone walked out very disappointed. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to sidetrack us with a Star Wars oh, no. conversation no, no, after this. But I, Star Trek Into Darkness is the reason that they should not have given J.J. Abrams any Star Wars. Oh yeah, film because Definitely he did not such Star a good Wars job films. with the first Star Trek film that, of making a Star Wars and, film. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he did. He did everything that you would want from a, a reboot of the Star Trek universe. I, I, I At least personally, I like, at the I time, like that I thought movie. the first okay. one was a really good way to turn a lot of things that you loved on their head in an unexpected fashion and re-gift them to you in a way that was palatable and tasty. Uh, I think he's, but, he's good at starting things. He's not good at ending things. But then he, when he did that with Star Wars, it was he just used the same formula where he took everything from the first film, flipped it around, and tried to give it back to you as if it was a delicious gumbo. But it was not. It was awful. It was everything bad. And then they gave him the third movie. After he... I, I was very excited when I heard that Ryan Johnson was making the second of the new Star Wars films because the movies that I had seen from him were all good and very complex and layered and deep. It's very good. Yes. And then, I was not disappointed at all with the Star Wars film that I got from him. But anyway, 
All right. Uh, so, Sorry. But We've gotten very no, off track. Well, let's, let's, let's stay I off track. I can't think for, about it without needing to vent some of it. Let's let's stay off track for just a minute more, uh, because uh, th- this is this is a qualified panel to discuss. Is it possible to make a good Star Wars film right now, or were those films doomed from the start? You mean main series? Like yeah, like we 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 know the man we know the Mandalorian's like, doing fine. But like, yeah, but if, I mean, if, like, yeah, I, thought, I think uh, I think Rogue you can definitely tell good. stories in that universe. Yeah, uh, and I, just I think they should start with non-main characters. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like Force Awakens. I realize that uh, sets me apart at least from Douge. I like, I like Force it more Awakens now than I did yeah. the first time. Um, again, as I said before, I have not seen Episode Nine. Someday I will watch Mark Episode III Nine. Can suck it forever. Oh yeah, no, God I damn it, um, I hate that so much. I mean, for me personally, I really loved uh, Rogue One. Rogue, Rogue One was, was my Rogue favorite. One's great. Rogue One was Rogue really good. good. Rogue, I, uh, Rogue One is the best like that, of the the new films. Yeah, that was. I, mean, I, I, I would like to see nice more job. of that. I would like to see more. Uh, yeah, sort of side stories. Um. No more Skywalkers. No more Skywalkers. No. Oh my God! No or more Skywalkers. Palpatines. Or Palpatines. Ugh. But I want to know what happened to it Elon Cleese Bagano. So mad that they like the Force is not a freaking lineage. Okay, like it's not. It's not hereditary. It's not supposed to be like. Yeah. Only this these nope. families have the force, okay? Yeah. Anyone and, can have the force. And, and Ryan Johnson very explicitly said yeah. that in, in yeah, the second did. movie. And then, they awesome. went, and then they went back on it. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, quiet, this, yeah. I, I feel like I've had this conversation many times. <laughs> Probably with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's 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 pivot back around to Thor: The Dark World. So we're com- we're coming out of uh, no, coming out of the no, 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 no. We've just Thor. alienated half of our audience. Thor Ragnarok. We are pivoting yeah. back to Thor Ragnarok, not Dark World. Yes. Let's pivot back to Thor Ragnarok. Um. We uh. Okay. So we have our fun on Sakar. We get a Hulk. Uh. They escape the devil's anus, and then they are back. To, uh, I forgot it was called that. Yeah, back back to Asgard for the the rip roaring finale, um, uh, which is I don't know. E- even as a like big finale where planets get destroyed, it's it's got some laughs. Um, Mark yeah, Ruffalo, Mark Banner, Ruffalo and... dying on that bridge is hilarious. <laughs> Such a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I can't help. I can't help but read that it's as. My you know, <laughs> I can't help but read that as just like a specifically the moment where Banner, you know, just plops down. Yes. Uh, you know, just as like a, a gentle skewering of of how self serious these movies oh, yeah. can be. Sometimes, like yeah. even the Marvel films, totally, how... absolutely the DC films, but oh, yeah. like even the Marvel films ha- have moments of just mm-hmm. pomposity, and it's like you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. it, it also, it feels just like Taika Waititi taking away the hammer where he's, I think it was an interview with him I saw where he said that he, he doesn't like Thor with the hammer. He finds him very boring because he's uh, invincible yeah. and he takes away the the version of the Hulk that where Banner can't shoot himself in the head, Yeah, you know, because he'll immediately turn into the Hulk at that last second, like, uh, so you know, it just takes away a little bit of his invulnerability. Mm-hmm. And two, two things: if we treat this film as, self, as self-contained, though, like Banner hitting the bridge is the last time we see Banner in this film. Like he's Hulk for the rest of the film, and he does express a fear of maybe I'll be the Hulk and I'll never be Banner again. 
um, which of course is is reversed in Infinity War, but like for the purposes of this film, that's the story. He yeah. jumps out and he yeah. is doing it knowing that he might be sacrificing himself, and then we see him die hitting a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> then we get. I ha- I had I had not read it in quite that dark a way, but yeah, I suppose. Yeah. the The other thing is, uh, dude, building off your comment about Tycho YTT not liking uh, Thor with a hammer, uh, I I just love the way Anthony Hopkins delivers the line, "Are you Thor, God of Hammers?" <laughs> Thor, God of Hammers. Yes. It's oh phenomenal, and the conversation that he has with uh with Tycho YTT's character. Korg. Yeah. Yeah. About the hammer and Korg's just like being a kind of he's just being a really good friend and he's like hearing him out. You you pulled sounds like you have a very special relationship with this. Yes, and 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 (laughs) losing it was akin to uh, losing the loved one. (laughs) My God, the hammer pulled you off. (laughs) But again, uh, I think this is something that Taika Taika Waititi is very good at, like a mix of like that joke about the hammer pulling him off is then immediately followed by the by that like very sincere. Like, again, it's still a joke, but also it's both a joke and a serious read on the character. Yeah, that that mm-hmm. this was a very serious loss for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the subtext has become text, and but in a, a way that is like hilarious. Yes, I'm trying to think if there are other like th- there's just a lot of rock really paper good scissors. Stuff. Yeah, the rock paper scissors joke yet. I tried to start a resolution, uh, think, but I, I didn't think, print uh, enough pamphlets. We haven't we haven't talked a lot about back uh, around to another revolution. I think Valkyrie is also like a really interesting character. Yeah, let's talk about Valkyrie. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I'm, yeah. I'm confused about what the timeline is here. How long was Thor with Odin? Like, I mean, how long has he been around? Because he didn't, he didn't know Valkyrie. I think this was before he was born. Is, okay. is my that's, yeah, I think that's like, the implication. So she's older than him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she's older than him. Hela's definitely older uh, than yeah. him. So yeah, my my read is that Odin Odin and Hela like conquered the galaxy or conquered their corner of the galaxy. Uh, Odin had a change of heart and then had Thor after that change of heart. Yes. Uh, so yeah, she like uh, my understanding is that Thor would never have met a Valkyrie beforehand. They were slaughtered okay. and like yeah, they were they were legendary fighting force. Yeah. So, yeah. so if. Thor has his character journey in the film, and that's kind of summarized by him, you know, learning learning not to use his hammer. He doesn't need his hammer, and not to understand that. To become Raiden, God of Thunder. Yeah, exactly. Um, Valkyrie has... Um, Valkyrie has maybe not a more traditional, like, movie character arc um but a completely traditional yeah it's it's like oh yeah she she has a tragic event in her past she ran away she gets pulled back into the game yeah yeah i mean yeah uh she's she goes through the same arc that thor goes through in endgame she goes through the same arc that han solo goes through in star wars a new hope (laughs) yeah i was thinking the same thing it's very much like if if han solo was a bit more of a sad drunk this would be (laughs) yeah um. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what? What do we? Only what do we she's have not to, fat. No. What do we have to say about uh, about Valkyrie? Uh, I mean, for one, I just you know, she's queer coded, which I think is important. I th- I think you know this is a very queer movie she in a lot first? of ways. Um, queer coded. I'm not familiar with this term. Uh, like she's she's very easy to read as being queer. I think I, they have explicitly. Okay. 
they either have explicitly or are going to they make have. it explicit. In, I, th in I think of the, the Wikipedia article at least said that there was actually a scene that made this more uh, explicit. explicit, but it, yeah. it didn't make the final cut. Mm -hmm. no. I mean, I would also say Hella is also uh, sort of very intensely queer coded uh, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And very sort of Hella traditional. Hella could be a contestant ways. on the RuPaul Drag Race. Exactly. Like, she's, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I cannot figure out what the usage is for that headdress. Like, what is its practical it's, effect? It's a Jack Kirby design. Go Google Jack yeah. Kirby design. No, I believe you. Yeah. But like, it's, it's like when you see a vampire character mm -hmm. or dead man and he's got that that collar that goes up like three feet above his head. And you just try to picture walking around like her, that. Uh, her headdress and the person down. can see through like six inches of space because they've got no peripheral <laughs> vision. Yeah, but her headdress yeah. cuts down wind resistance. Um, sure. Yeah. It's aerodynamic. aerodynamic. Yeah. Look at I mean, how easily like she killed all those anything, people. make her a lightning rod. Yeah. Uh, let, let's, let's act, here's, here's one lens to talk about uh, uh, Valkyrie through. Uh, so... Uh, Natalie Portman is not in this movie. Um, she is kind of no, no. cursorily pushed away um, and not <laughs> particular. Yeah, not particularly missed. <laughs> um, and so we, we substitute Natalie Portman as female lead for uh, Natalie Portman, Jane Foster, female lead for Tessa Thompson, Valkyrie, female lead. Yes. Um, and part of me feels like removing any faint towards a romantic element for Thor in this film is part of that feeling of letting letting the characters be a little freer like we're not going to mm. like the a, a huge chunk of the motivating force in Thor the Dark World if you can remember it was uh <laughs> Thor trying to save uh to save Jane from that infinity gunk that got inside of her and uh, you know he's, he's agonizing over the possibility of losing Jane, and we don't have any, we don't have time for any of that shit in this movie. Yeah, and that is that is refreshing because like you know, and this is not an MCU problem, but like an American movie problem that like almost every movie that has like a male and a female lead is sort of required th there to be a, a romantic subtext. Um, and yeah, no, I think that I think that's nice that they have you know an entirely platonic thing. I love that line, like, when he figures out what she is, and his comment was, I wanted to be a Valkyrie when I grew up, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is, you know, it fits in with him being kind of himbo-ish, but also it's, like, it's very sweet and sincere, uh, and... Dude, are you not familiar with himbo? No, I asked about it earlier. I didn't know oh, what you... I've it's, never heard of it before. It's, it's a male bimbo. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Wow. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's yeah. my second favorite when I was a kid story that Thor tells in this film. My first being the oh, story, God. <laughs> the story about the story. that is the best part of the entire film. <laughs> that 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 is where Chris Hemsworth like, he's doing good work throughout the film, but he completely <laughs> won me over as a comedian there because that's part turned, of his type turned five. Into <laughs> turned into a snake, and he knows I like snakes, so I came over to pick it up. <laughs> and he turned back into himself. And, and he, he knows like, I like snakes. Is that I? It's me. <laughs> And he scam. knows that I like snakes. Absolutely sells that story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, again, uh, you know, um, I would say, you know, going into this movie, I would say that, yeah, probably Thor was the most boring, the least interesting of the Avengers. And either because of Taika Waititi's uh, direction choices, the 
the script, uh, Chris Hemsworth's uh, acting, like just entirely turns it around in uh, an honestly miraculous uh, turnaround for me. There, there's one one more thing. I want to go back to that snake story for a minute because we, we've not talked about Tom Hiddleston at all in this. Um, and maybe it's just yeah. we're kind of taking for granted the, the stuff that he's doing as Loki. But he's very good and he has a good arc. But uh, his my hot Tom Hiddleston highlight of this film was when Thor tells the snake story. And there's a shot where they cut back to him and he kind of smiles warmly to himself. Like he's remembering. <laughs> I mean, one thing that I really appreciate about this movie is that Thor is incredibly bored with Loki shenanigans yes. at this point. Like yeah. there's the, there's sort of the cursor sudden, but inevitable betrayal. Yep. Like that's played very straight mm-hmm. in Thor, the dark world. Yeah. But here there's like, we all know you're going to betray us. We're going to like zap you beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's entirely, he's, he's, despite being much dumber in many ways, he, he's much smarter when it comes to Loki mm-hmm. in a way that Loki was sort of his blind spot in the yeah. previous two movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I appreciate that because I love Tom Hiddleston. He does, he's doing great work. Uh, but if Loki had just been sort of like in the corner scheming, going like, nobody suspects me again for a third movie. I was like, we all fucking know what you're going to do. And the <laughs> fact that they also goes like, we fucking know what he's going to do. I, I also love the the Loki moment when uh, Thor and Hulk are in the arena and Hulk beats that's the shit out of him. <laughs> that's what it feels like. <laughs> But yes, the, no, he's great at that. The, there's yeah. there's some good and like we know so in Infinity War, um, Loki gets gets smashed, and then it, we know we have like a Disney Plus series coming with with the version of the character. But I actually Loki do, vision. yeah, I do think that the movie does push Loki along in kind of an interesting way here, though. Um, in mm. a couple scenes in particular, one, uh, I, I mean, you you have kind of the more obvious through line of the film where. Loki uh, sends an illusion to go visit Thor when he's in prison, and then at the end of the film, he is there actually on the ship. He's he's actually mm-hmm. come full circle, which I thought thought was a nice touch. And then I really love the uh, I love the scene in the elevator where Loki is saying, you know, maybe I should stay here. And Thor's like, yes, yes, you absolutely should. And he he Loki has the line, "You think so little of me," and Thor says, "I thought the world of you, but we've moved on." And yeah. I, I really admired that scene. Like that was, it, oh, we it, would fight side by side forever. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, appre- uh, I appreciate I, the acknowledgement that the relationship has changed. When mm-hmm. I feel like, with maybe the even there's an entire fucking movie about how Captain America and Iron Man have their relationship torn apart, but their relationship never really changes. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I think also, like, if you go back to the first Thor or Thor of the Dark World, like, with the exception of Anthony Hopkins, like, Hiddleston's sort of the only one with anything interesting to do in those movies. Yeah, he's allowed to have a personality. And, like, he's allowed to have a personality. He's allowed to take center stage. And, like, he's much more on the periphery in this movie. There's a lot of other big personalities, including now Thor. Thor now sort of has a big enough personality that he's able to sort of captivate the screen in a way that he really couldn't previously yeah uh and i think that that helps his development so much where he isn't sort of the center of attention where he sort of he has to have those moments of pathos so that we care about him i think really helps him as a character yeah yeah because yeah like he's he's 
he's very pathetic in this movie. I think in some like really interesting ways, like the falling for thirty minutes thing, or just like he has this very tenuous position on like the periphery of uh, the Grandmaster's uh, sort of inner Entourage. circle. Yeah. Um, and again, I think like in the uh, in the other movies, in the other Thor movies, in the first Avengers movie, he's the sort of like master planner. Xanatos Gambit kind of a character where like every he everything's going according to plan. Well, that, that's and that's it's much more line. interesting to see. That's the line that Thor uh, delivers to him when he's on the ground. It's you'll always be the god of mischief, but you could be more. And like the the scope yeah. of all of this has grown beyond him. Exactly. Xanatos Gambit. Tell me who Xanatos Gambit is. Z- <laughs> Looking Xanatos, at it right now. Xanatos is the bad guy of Gargoyles. Yes, he is. That's uh, Jonathan Frakes. And Xanatos Gambit is a term that I think TV tropes coined, or at least they use yeah, it a lot. On, so it's essentially where uh, where the bad guy, like if you if the good guys foil the bad guy's scheme, you could then cut to the the bad guy going like, uh, yes, just as just as anticipated. But this sets me one one. But this moves me closer to victory. Just like how uh, every time a Death Star gets destroyed, Palpatine's like, ah, just as I foresaw. But when I build yes. my fifth Death Star. Yeah, it's, oh, it's essentially, it's the, sort, it's the sort of bad guy where every time the good guys win, that's secretly part of the bad guy's scheme. Mm. Um, and... Like I feel like that's kind of the way that Loki was written a lot in the 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 first two movies and in uh, uh, the Avengers. He was very sort of scheming and in control of things mm. up until he gets you know destroyed by Thor. No, not Thor. Uh, Hulk. I mean, in Avengers and Thanos. Yes. Um. But yeah, I, this is a really good movie. It's a very, it's a very funny movie. I think you know we've definitely had several funny, like legitimately funny uh, MCU movies. Like again, we de- described sort of the sense of humor is very Whedon esque mm-hmm. a lot, and you know that makes sense given Whedon's role uh, with the Avengers. But I would say this is sort of the most consistently funny uh, movie uh, for me. I. Guardians, think, the first Guardians, the only other one that I can think of, and even that I feel like doesn't quite hold up as well. I think this is of all the MCU films, this is the only one I actively wanted to see again in theaters. Hmm. I did not see it in theaters a second time. I'm not sure I've seen any MCU movies uh, multiple times in theaters, but um, yeah, I would say Winter Soldier might be the only other one. And Winter Soldier, I think, like it, obviously a very different movie, much more also sort of, a laugh uh, fest. Yeah, yeah, for, for, but for very different reasons. But I think also, like, they're both, like, very, they're incredibly well-structured movies. Mm. Uh, and I would say they're, they're still my picks for the two best, uh, the two best MCU films. I will say of the MCU films, this is probably the one, like, there are occasional nights when, like, Cynthia and I will both want to watch something but not want it to be something that's particularly intellectually engaging or challenging. It's like, uh, we both had a hard day. Let's just put something on. This is a very easy movie for us to just put on because yeah, it's, it's, it's it like we like it. We're going to laugh. It's uh, easy to have in the background. It's a lot of fun. And, yeah, it's, it's uh, high on the rewatchability scale. Yeah, I would say I think this is my this is probably my fourth time seeing it. I think, um, and I will, I will, I maybe don't need to watch it right away, but mm-hmm. like I will definitely watch this again. Um, 
in a way that yeah there's only like two or three other mcu movies i would say i could imagine getting up to a fifth viewing on i'm just looking at the list of films that we have done so far and yeah Um, i think the only one that i have watched as much as this is uh maybe the first guardians movie uh there might be some that i've watched as many times there might be a couple that i've seen four times yeah I don't know though. This might be the MCU movie I've seen the most. This might be uh, my favorite good Marvel movie at this point. Yeah, I feel like the Avengers is probably the one I've seen the most. Yeah, I feel like maybe, I've pro- yeah, I maybe have seen the time. Avengers four times. I might have seen Guardians four times. I think only three though. Um, mm-hmm. I've probably I think I've only seen I, Winter Soldier. I've probably seen four times. Anyway, it it doesn't especially matter, but uh, mm-hmm. it's a real good movie. So, Y'all should watch it. So we are we are entering uh, a in so th- this is the last movie of 2017 that we're watching. Okay. So we are entering into an exciting year of movies mm. for for the 2018 okay. trilogy. So we got Black Panther as the next one. We have oh, Infinity very War. Also very good. Yeah, we have Infinity okay. War. We have Deadpool two. Which I've not um, seen. And we'll have oh, to dis- well. we'll have to discuss if uh, one of us is going to watch the alternate PG thirteen rated Once Upon a Deadpool edition of Deadpool two. Oh, what? Yes. Okay. Uh, so so what, si- I, sidebar. I... Uh, Deadpool two comes out. It's like a summer movie. It's good. It makes yeah. a lot of money. It's rated R. That winter for Christmas, they do a limited release of Deadpool two that is cut for a PG thirteen audience. With the frame story of Deadpool having kidnapped Fred Savage to reenact the Princess Bride, and I have not heard of this. I at saw it all. in theaters. It was fantastic. How all have right. we not talked about this? Yeah, <laughs> I, just I, I, I don't do think it. I knew this. Once upon a Deadpool. Yeah. Look it oh, up. Yeah. All right. I will. I, I will. Should I will we do a separate both. episode of for for the maybe for we should. Once upon a Deadpool. Is that on the? Is it released? Like I'm sure you can with find the. It. Blu-ray or anything? Uh, let's see. Uh, what's what's up? Yeah, it's hilarious. It's very well done. Um, Fred Savage is great. Uh, but we have Deadpool 2. Uh, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, which is probably... Like, Ant-Man and the Wasp is good, uh, but it's probably, like, the least flashy of the films for the year. Um, yeah. And then we close out 2018 with Venom. Ooh, which I have also <laughs> not seen. I haven't seen either. I'm very excited. Really I'm really excited about that one. The only, well, no, that and Dark Phoenix. From, I haven't seen either of those. From what I understand, it's super horny. Am I the only one of us who's seen Venom? I think so. You saw it for a Flophouse show, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I would say, yeah, that one's that that one's probably the at least of the movies that I haven't seen, probably the one I'm most excited for, and it's probably one of the only. Because yeah, I think Dark Phoenix. I didn't. I didn't end up seeing the last Spider-Man movie. I think that was while I was working on my dissertation. I watched that recently. I, it was, um, I think. Good. I think. Yeah. I think those might be the only ones I haven't seen at this point. There might be something else I'm forgetting. But. Uh, so 2019 is Captain Marvel, Endgame, Dark Phoenix, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, because of you know the year, uh, the only Marvel the, we have a chance to catch up thanks to this plague. Um, in 2020. <laughs> uh, in 2020, uh, the only Marvel film that's been released is The New Mutants. Yes, finally. Shockingly, The New the new Mutants somehow has been released. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, oh yeah, someone mentioned. Oh Derek, you mentioned uh, Wonder Woman 1984 earlier, and by the time listeners hear this, that movie might have a release date. Uh, <laughs> Given the pace I'm th- editing, that's possible. Yeah, I think I thought I just saw something today saying they'd already announced they're pushing it back to 2021. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, ev- which, everything is pushed to like yeah, late they, summer 2021. They, 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 they tried. They tried to see if Tenet would work, and it didn't work. Yeah, people, so people they're, they're not. I heard that to was so right. good. One of my friends saw it and said it was amazing. It, it may or may I not mean, be very might... very good, but people aren't going to go to theaters right now. Yeah, I'm not. Oh, you know. Well, Alamo is doing uh, social distance seating and such. That's Alamo. Oh. I am. Yeah. I'm still like yeah. I'm still not going to see a see a, a movie in a theater anytime soon, you know. Yeah. Unless they release the butthole cut of Cats, I'm not seeing anything <laughs> in theaters anytime what? soon. I still haven't watched Cats. <laughs> okay, well, uh, why would you? Because <laughs> it was great. Because I loved Cats. I legitimately loved Cats. Okay. Oh my god! All right, so you're the. I haven't I haven't talked to anyone who saw it and liked it, but I've oh. barely talked to oh, anyone it was who saw a, it. It was an insane fever dream, but I loved every <laughs> so, moment so, of it. So <laughs> we, we need to talk about because we, we haven't done a like uh, group watch of a movie uh, online in a while, and I know that mm-hmm. a no. bunch of services are now now have like their watch party feature or whatever. Uh, I think there's a serious question about does our does our next watch need to be uh, cats or flash Gordon? Uh, mm. I would be up for any of those. Also, just to give Dude a little bit more context, uh, a, a couple months after it came out, somebody some somebody involved in the making of the movie mentioned that they had to CGI out a bunch of photorealistic cat butts that were on the okay. uh, that were on the models. I got you. That's I guess that's what I assumed it was. I just didn't believe that that phrase existed. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, stars Idris Elba. And, it also stars Idris Elba, what? and I I made a very I made a very concerted effort to take my parents to see it before they had a chance to patch it because like when it came out, they they had to patch the movie because the CGI wasn't done. And I was like, we have to see it wait, before this happens. Wait, back up. Yeah. You can... <laughs> Explain. <laughs> the CGI it like a video game. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Whether the extent to which this is something I, you know, like there was coverage of it on Mm -hmm. on social media. The extent to which this is actually true remains unclear to me. Yeah, I'm not I'm not 100% sure how much it was, but there was talk when it came out because like the CGI is very bad. And like there are parts where like you can see like you can see Judy Dench's wedding ring, like stuff like that. Like there's 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 like parts where like wasn't married. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there was at least some talk that they were going to uh, like release an updated one that like finished some of the CGI. Uh, that Yeah, that could, that could have been some weird like roundabout guerrilla marketing. Like everybody go see cats before they fix it. Mm-hmm. The only hey, if there... person that I have heard in just media that says, oh yeah, or, or, uh, the only person that I've heard who acquitted himself well in the film was Ian McKellen. Is that true? Ah, <laughs> uh, the role he was born to play. <laughs> I would say no. no. I would not say that Ian McKellen. I don't think. Uh, yeah. No, Ian. Nobody doing himself well. Yeah. Ian McKellen is doing weird work. Like you would, you would think that that would be an easy slam dunk for him, but no. Even then, he's making choices. Man, it is. It's not a good movie. I'm not saying that, but I fucking love it. That's okay. Um. 
Um, watch it before the regular cut. That's because the the you should always watch the shorter cut before the longer no, cut. I, right? I don't. So I don't. You I don't a know. Fuller version. No, no, I don't. So it's not like that. Uh, first of all, I don't know if there is actually a material time difference between the two. Um, once well, upon, if it's PG thirteen, no, 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 they no, no, had no. to take out. Okay, no, no. it's they don't just take out; they replace. Like there is a frame story, so in terms yeah. of running time, it may actually be the same length. You need to watch. I know, but I mean, no, dude, I mean, in terms of the okay, dude, just li- right. listen to me on this. You need to okay. watch the original theatrical release first because an enormous okay. part of the joke of Once Upon yeah. a Deadpool is what Deadpool as an unreliable narrator is cutting out of his yeah. own film. Okay. Yes. You have to watch uh, right. the original cut first. Okay. I, 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 yes, I agree. No, I believe that. you. I just, uh, that's not what I would have expected, but I get it. Anyway. Yeah, Deadpool uh, casts himself also, as Peter Falk. Anyone who has not seen Deadpool 2 needs to watch Hunt for the Wilder People yes. before they see Deadpool yes, 2. Yes, because seen, it, it is we, the we American remake of Hunt for the Wilder People. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. God. Do we have anything more to say about Thor Ragnarok? It's a good movie. That thing like, we're go, talking, it's go, a good movie. Go watch yeah. it on your, your favorite streaming service that it's on. I can't, I'm sure that I had a criticism of it, but I can't think of what it was now. The only uh, criticism that I see Sam Neill. You do get to see Sam yes. Neill. Yeah. Sam Neill and the Matt great, Damon. The great and Sam Matt ne- Damon. Yeah. I watched uh, and, and one of the, and one the one third, uh, the, yeah, the third Helmsworth. The one that's on uh, West. Larry. Yeah. Uh, there was... Um, did you guys watch uh, Mythic Quest, uh, the show that Rob McElhaney oh. did? Oh, no, on yeah. Apple yeah. Plus or whatever. No, I haven't it's, seen it. Okay, so first of all, it's good. Second of all, there are a couple of episodes, like one in particular that is actually legitimately great and touching and like left me crying at the end. Uh, third, mm-hmm. the woman who plays the, the real lead on the show uh, is the woman who plays the like stage version of Sif in Loki's play in this film, Charlotte Nicato, which was like a hell of a first credit to see on her IMDb. It's like fake Sif. 